out and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We'll be there today. And while you're doing that, multitask, get out your core guide. We're in the middle of our core group season, and there's our discussion guide on the back that our core groups go through on a weekly basis. On the inside, there are some devotionals to uh, help get you through the week and kind of on topic or very close to the topic at hand for the week. And then, of course, on the front, there's a nice blank space for you to jot down notes and questions that maybe you want to talk about with your <clears throat> core groups this week. Well, it's been about a year and a half or so since I made a trip back to Wisconsin with my friend Neil. And we were, our task was to haul a trailer and uh, bring a bunch of stuff back from Wisconsin, from Lisa's uh, house of origin to Washington. Well, we had this plan, this trip all planned out, and I uh, am a student of maps, and so I kind of knew the fuel range of my vehicle, and so I knew about when we were going to need to stop for gas. And so looking at the map in eastern Montana, you know, there's, there's little dots along the interstate all along the way. Well, we're driving along and the fuel tank is getting down towards a quarter of a tank. I'm like, okay, perfect. We have this planned out. This is the dot on the map that we're going to stop at, fill the tank up. Everything will be good. We get to that dot on the map, and there was a sign on the highway that said, no services. And I said, uh-oh. Because now we're eighth of a tank, maybe. And my passenger at the time does not like it when the needle gets below a half a tank. I learned. And uh, so, you know, the next, the next dot on the map, okay, we'll, we'll make it there. We get to that one, there's also a sign that says, no services. Hmm. Okay, we'll make it to the next one. I know it. The light goes on. So I said, the light goes, the, the, the gas light went on. He already knew it. <laughs> it went on like 10 miles ago. <laughs> oh, we're, we'll, we're going to be fine. We get to that dot on the map. No services. There's one more dot on the map that we have to make it to, and I'm just trusting that there's going to be services at this town. But we have already exhausted, you know, on a Ford Expedition, I think you might get 40 miles after the light goes on. And uh, <laughs> we, we tested the limit of that one. And we're approaching this other dot, and, and you know, we get to the top of the hill, I'm putting in neutral you know, trying to get ev coax every last bit of mileage out of whatever was left. You know, that needle was, was like bent on that little bar, you know, that it rests on. And <clears throat> we had the mindset of scarcity. Like, 
we don't have enough. We're going to run out of gas. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with pressing some of those boundaries. My passenger was, well, I, I, he lost whatever hair he had left. And um, <clears throat> he was very gracious to me. We pulled into that gas station. We made it. And when I turned the car off, the needle didn't even move. And when I, I had a hard time unscrewing the gas cap because it had sucked it tight. We cut it close. We made it, but we certainly thought that we weren't going to have enough. Uh, maybe it was a year ago, we were working the coffee shop downstairs on a mops morning. If you've ever been here on a mops morning, you know that this building just goes nuts with... Uh, women and their kids, and uh, it's a flurry of activity. It's just awesome. And our men's ministry, there's a few of us that every mops morning, we serve free espresso drinks and so forth to the, to the ladies. It's one of the ways that we can uh, serve and minister to them. And I noticed that we were running low on coffee beans in the, in the hopper. And we're going through the morning, and it's busy, and, and that, you know, we're down to low. We're, there's, there was no way, there's no way that we had enough coffee beans to make it through a mops morning when we started. But we kept making espressos and kept grinding beans, and wouldn't you know when, when the last lady came through the line there were still beans in the hopper. There was absolutely no way that we started the morning off with enough espresso beans to make 92 drinks that morning. And yet, there were still some coffee beans le left. I thought we were going to run out. Mindset of scarcity. There's a church that we served, and we were going through a building campaign uh, building a second worship campus. And it was a multi-million dollar project. And uh, this was the first church that I served on the staff at. And part of the project was to furnish all of the inside of the building. You know, you need chairs to sit on and, and tables and so forth and the classrooms and furniture out in the foyer that's comfortable and, you know, uh, dishwashers and refrigerators and the like in the kitchen and, you know, everything that goes into furnishing a church. Well, when they had calculated the initial budget for the project, somehow the spreadsheet with all of the furnishings was not included in that. We were going to run out of money. We weren't going to be able to close on the project and uh, get possession of the new property because we weren't going to be able to pay for it. We had a need, a gap of about $1.7 million. That's a lot. And we prayed about it. I think very few people thought that we were going to be able to make it. It was going to be close. We did not want to borrow that much money. We did not have approval on that yet. 
family in our congregation whose son had passed away way before his time stepped forward and said, we'd like to give the church a million dollars. One million dollars. The rest, we had figured out that we had some reserves and we could, find, we could add that amount to uh, the loan that we were taking out. And so just at the last minute, we were able to close on the property. You know, we went into that with a mindset of scarcity. We're not going to have enough. You know, we think about gas tanks and espresso beans and project costs. I'm sure that if we went around the room, you would have your own stories of times when you just didn't think what you had was going to be enough to cover what you needed. The mindset of scarcity, I'm going to run out, I'm going to run out. Well, don't be alarmed. You're in the company of some biblical characters who also had the same mindset. I remember uh, the people of, of Israel. Yeah, they're in slavery 400 years in Egypt. Moses is, God taps Moses on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to go rescue my people. I've heard their prayers. I've heard their cries. Uh, they've, they've risen to me, and, and I, want, I want to do something about it, so I'm going to send you. Moses goes, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. Finally, Pharaoh is convinced and lets the people go, and they go out into the wilderness. We know the story. It's one of the foundational stories of faith. The people are out there in the wilderness. There's all sorts of metaphors on what the wilderness means. It's a desolate place. It's, it's dry. It's barren. It's a place of need. Well, the people are excited to go, and they're out there, but as soon as, as soon as their stomach tells them that it's time to eat, they turn on Moses. And their stomach tells their brain, hey, it's time, time for some food, and their brain tells them, hey, you know what? It was a hard life back in Egypt, but remember the food that we got to eat? Remember all those vegetables? We were never really at a lack for food back in Egypt. They took care of those needs for us. Moses, why did you bring us out here? To die? And Moses took that to God and says, hey, what are you going to do about this? <laughs> this is your deal. You asked me to go lead them out, and I did. And now they're complaining. Are you gonna... And God says, I got it covered. People didn't think they were going to have enough. They didn't think they were going to have anything. They had the mindset of scarcity. There's no provisions, nothing to eat. We're going to die. God provided manna from heaven that blanketed the ground every morning. And so the people went through those years, 40 years in the wilderness, and God provided their food every day. Well, when that wasn't good enough, they complained to Moses, are all we going to get is this manna? <laughs> is that it? Moses took that to God. So God provided some quail, meat and bread, year after year after year. The people didn't think they were going to have enough. In fact, God, you know, he, he gave it to them six days a week, and on the seventh, he didn't give, uh, um, give them an amount. And he said on, on that sixth day, collect twice as much. 
and that'll cover you for seven. But you know what the people did, because they didn't think they were going to have enough, is they just, they disobeyed that, and, and they just started hoarding as much as they could, and it went bad, because God said no. I want to discipline you to know that I will provide for your need. The people had a mindset of scarcity. Well, if you flip forward in your Bibles to 1 Kings, we are introduced to a character named Elijah, prophet of God. He was uh, going about the countryside and doing God's work and found himself uh, in some trouble with the uh, folk in the palace, and so he's now out in the wilderness hiding for his life. And God directed him to uh, this wilderness place, but it was near a brook, so there was plenty of water for him. And God said, I will provide your food for you. And so day and night, morning and evening, ravens brought bread and meat for Elijah to survive on. Well, immediately after uh, Elijah had that time in the wilderness and figured out God was dependable to meet his need, he went off and he is uh, introduced to this uh, widow uh, in Zarephath. And... He asks her for a drink of water. She obliges, and he said, Oh, while you're at it, can you bake me a little cake of bread? And that's when she kind of broke down. She's like, My son and I, all we have left is enough flour and oil for one cake. We were, we were going to go home tonight, and we were going to eat that and just wait until we died. That's all we have. We don't have enough. And Elijah says, you know, if you do this for me, I have it on pretty good authority that the flour and the oil that you have will be enough until God provides rain again in the land. And sure enough, that's what happened. You flip forward into the book of 2 Kings. We're introduced to Elijah's successor, Elisha. And Elisha has some similar experiences. He meets this uh, woman who is a widow. Her husband was uh, one, of the, one of the prophets. And he had passed away, and so she's left to fend uh, for herself. And she has two boys, and she's gone into severe debt. And in those days, to get out of debt, you could sell your kids into slavery. And so it was all set. There were some people going to come and take her two boys and take them into slavery so her debt could be canceled. And Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. Go around to all of the households in your town and ask them for whatever extra jars they have and bring them back. So she does that. And he says, go in your house and shut the door. And the one jar of oil that you have, just pour it into the jars and just keep pouring. She filled all of the jars that she had collected. And the oil stopped running when the jars ran out. It turned out that there was enough oil that she could go and sell to keep her boys out of becoming slaves for someone. It got her out of debt. And there was even enough left over that she and her boys could live on. They didn't think... They had enough. They had this mindset of scarcity. We don't have enough, and we don't know what we're going to do. And 
it's going to end up badly. A little bit later, same chapter of 2 Kings. This is 2 Kings 4. You can look it up on your own. I think it's actually in your core guide to read this week. The end of 2 Kings 4. Uh, Elisha, uh, a servant brings Elisha 20 loaves of barley bread. Probably little cakes, not... You know, we think of loaf as a little bit bigger, but these are smaller cakes. And so uh, the servant brings Elisha 20 of them, and, and Elisha sees a bunch of people around that need some food. And he says, well, why don't you serve it to these people over here? And the servant says, well, there's, there's only 20 loaves of bread. How can I put 20 loaves out in front of 100 men? I can't do that. And Elisha says, do it anyway. There will be enough. The servant had this mindset of scarcity, but Elisha had spent enough time with God that he had a different picture now. And so where the servant had a mindset of scarcity, Elisha is thinking, well, maybe there's enough. So the servant hands out the bread, and wouldn't you know, all 100 men, and I'm assuming that there were some women and children around, were able to eat until they were satisfied. So this is not a little token meal, a little, you know, handful of bread. This was a meal that it was satisfying. So when we get caught up in thinking that, you know, I'm just looking at my bank account, and I'm looking at my calendar and my time, and... I don't have enough. I don't have enough. We're operating in this mindset of scarcity, and it's been part of the human experience going all the way back to the beginning. The story I want to read for you this morning uh, in Mark chapter 6 is, uh, it kind of goes along with this. This is a story that uh, I'm pretty sure that you've heard before. This is the uh, story, it's the only miracle like this, outside of the resurrection of Jesus, it's the only miracle that shows up in all four of the Gospels. So I'm quite certain you've, you've read this before. In Mark chapter 6, in verse 30, Mark writes, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered... You give them something to eat. And they said to him, 
That would take more than half a year's wages. Your translation might say, that might take 200 denarii. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it, to, give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? In other words, what do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Did you notice that? There's 12 disciples, and there was enough left over so that even they got to eat. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So this crowd was much larger than that because there were women and children all around as well. Hmm. You know, some people, they just don't believe that story. It doesn't go along with what we know about nature. It's hard to understand how something could be multiplied like that. And so some people read the story and, and they just kind of write it off. And some rationalize it and say that, well, it started off probably as a smaller story. And as time went on, the legend just continued to grow. Probably wasn't a crowd that big. And some people just write it off that, yeah, it's just a legend that has grown and it's just there to make some symbolic point. Other people who are trying to explain away this kind of a miracle put it in the category of inspired generosity. So Jesus collects the five loaves and the two fish from the disciples, and you know he's looking at the crowd, and he's like, we got to feed these people. And so he tells them, just start distributing it to people. And the people, maybe in the front few rows, saw this and are like, wow, Jesus really cares. Not just about what he taught us all day, but he really cares for something deeper. And this is, this is very inspiring. And so, I mean, think about it. If you go anywhere for a day trip, you probably bring a little food along, right? A bottle of water, maybe a granola bar, you toss that in the car. It's one of the 10 essentials for Boy Scouts is you got to have some extra food, calories, to get you through. So some people say, well, the story was just inspired generosity. So when Jesus started sharing, everybody else, they got out the food that they had brought and started passing it around. And lo and behold, there was enough food for everybody. Some people, <laughs> this, this one really gets me. Some people say, well... Every person just got a nibble. 
Like when we gather around the Lord's table and, and share communion together here, and you get that little square of, of you know, the dry, toasty kind of wafer, you know, the little wafer. Some people say, well, they just split those five loaves up into a bunch of tiny little wafers, and, and so it wasn't, it wasn't really a, a, a meal. And when they say they were satisfied, it wasn't physically satisfied. It was spiritually satisfied. Get out of here. I don't Five loaves that are about this, you know, maybe eight inches across and about an inch tall. That's not, you can't make a nibble for 5,000 plus people out of that. But there's some people who just dismiss these kind of miracles and say it's not possible, so there's got to be some other reason. And I, I would say, uh, I'm quite certain that if the creator of the universe, who spoke everything into existence, walked around Galilee at that time, that there were probably some unusual things that were likely to occur. And so I have no trouble believing that if Mark reports that there was a miracle, and it happens to be in all four Gospels, I tend to believe that it happened. It starts off uh, with a report from the disciples. Verse 30 the apostles had gathered around Jesus, and a little bit ago in chapter 6, Jesus had sent them out to do ministry. Go cast out demons. Go tell people the good news. Get people to repent. You know, the time, the kingdom has come near. Repent. So the disciples are coming back, and and they're tired. They're, they're exhausted. Ministry is a tough work for them, and they're hungry, they're tired, and Jesus notices that they, get, that, that they just need to get away and, and rest. And so he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You know, it's, I think Jesus knows it's really hard to have compassion when you're worn out. It's hard to be compassionate for other people when you're just out of gas yourself. And when we get tired and we're worn out, exhausted, maybe burnt out, we, we default to that mindset of scarcity. I, got, I have nothing left to give. I haven't even been able to eat. I haven't even been able to care for myself. How is there anything left to think about giving to somebody. It's hard to have compassion when you're worn out. It moves on. Jesus, uh, they land. And I think Jesus is a little tired too. I think he wants to be included in that whole rest thing. And they land and there's a crowd of 5,000 plus people that they saw them get in their boat, and the boats on the Sea of Galilee usually had a, uh, the sail in the middle. They were usually marked, and so you could tell whose boat was whose when you're standing on the shore. You could get a sight line. Oh, that's Peter's boat. Oh, that's Andrew over there. Jesus must be in that boat, and we need some of that Jesus. We have needs. We're sick and tired and lonely and helpless, and he speaks to us and helps us. We're going to follow that boat. So they scurry along the shoreline, and, and sure enough, when the boat lands, there's a crowd already gathered. And I think the disciples probably rolled their eyes. Oh, 
This was supposed to be our vacation. Jesus said, come away to a quiet place to rest. I want me some of that. You're wrecking it. What does Jesus do? He looks at the people and he has compassion. And the word for compassion in Scripture is this deep feeling that comes from your gut. The root word is splunkna, your inside. Another way of looking at it is that Jesus was sick at heart because he saw the needs of the people. They landed, Jesus steps off the boat, he's worn out, he's tired, he needs some rest and recovery time, time in prayer. But instead of rolling his eyes and thinking about himself, he has compassion. He becomes sick at heart because, what does Mark tell us, that the people are lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Metaphorically, what, we're, what we learn there is that you know, there, was, there was plenty of religious machinery in the country. There were plenty of people involved in the service of the temple. There, there was a religious system in place, but it was hollow and it was empty and it was only requiring things of people and not feeding them. So they were lost. The religious folk of the day were not helping the people find God. And so they had no bearing. They had no compass. They're wandering around, and Jesus notices there's no shepherd to help them. And he's sick at heart. And so what is the first thing that he does? He starts, he opens the word. He is the word. (laughs) And he starts teaching them. Well, the story, the story moves on, verses uh, 35 and 36. Uh, by this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. They've, they've been over in the corner, off to the side in that nice green grass, tapping their feet. When's this sermon going to end? I know you think that once in a while. <clears throat> the disciples... They're, they're, they're the timekeepers. They got the little red clock in the back, and they're making sure that Jesus knows what time it is. Hey, brother, sermon's been long enough. It's late in the afternoon. And they say, we need to send the people away. You know, this, there's no request in this. They're, they're demanding. They're commanding Jesus. They're telling him what to do. It's late in the day, Jesus. Send the people away. Now, you could say that they're just looking at the situation and being very practical. Like they, they know that the people are kind of in a remote place, and it might take a little bit of time for them to get back to their homes or to other places where they could find some food. And so we could put it in the category of, yeah, they're just watching out for the people. They're, they're being practical. It's even a veiled attempt at that looking like they're compassionate. We care about these people. Send them away. <laughs> they need to find some food. But, you know, I can't read this story and think that there's any ounce of them that really cares about that crowd. 
that they don't view themselves as caregivers. They don't view that there is a need anything beyond teaching. Hey, Jesus, good job. That was a great sermon. Loved it. Put that one in the books. We should write that one down. Maybe in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we could add some of that. And, uh, but they didn't see that they had any responsibility beyond teaching. And Jesus, oh, what does he do? He says, you give them something to eat. They're, they're ready just to light a campfire, kick back, relax, and get some of that rest and relaxation that Jesus had talked about. And now Jesus says, you give them something to eat. <gasps> Can you just think about it? If you were one of the 12, or if you were observing what was going on, what do you think their faces looked like when Jesus dropped this bomb on them? You look at the crowd, 5,000 plus people. You give them something to eat. Say what? I think, you know, there's the, the new term these days is hangry. <laughs> Hungry and angry. I think the disciples got hangry. Like, no way. We are, our stomachs have been growling since noon. And it's late in the afternoon now. We need to get these people out of here because... We need to care for ourselves. So what are their um, veiled excuses? It would take 200 denarii. It would be half a year's wages to feed these people. Are you telling us that you want us to take money, which I don't even know if we have. I think maybe we have 78 in here, Jesus. It would take 200 denarii feed these people. Do you want us to take the money we have and go buy bread for all these people? Is that, is that what you mean? <laughs> they think it's impossible. They have this mindset of scarcity, right? They look at the situation and think, there is no way, Jesus. What have you been thinking about all day? <laughs> you know, it's hard to be generous when you don't think you have enough. It's hard to be compassionate when you're tired and worn out. Uh, it's hard to be generous when you don't think you have enough to feed yourself. It's hard to be generous and give when you don't know if you're going to make the mortgage or your rent payment. So when we read in scriptures that, that God wants us to, to tithe, to give 10% of everything that we bring in, to, to bring that into the storehouse. And by the way, that's the only thing in all of Scripture that God says, test me on this and see if I won't throw open the storehouses of heaven. The only time that God ever says, test me, is when it's in relation to giving, releasing the things that he's already entrusted to our care. It's a mindset of scarcity. I have nothing left to give. Do you, know, do you know this mindset of scarcity? Is that, is that a, I don't think that I'm talking to anybody who doesn't understand. Um, we all get to times in our life where we don't think that we have anything to give. Or we, are, we fall in the category of what I have to give doesn't amount to much. It's really not, it's really not going to make any kind of a difference at all, and so why, why even bother? I need every penny. I need 
every minute. I need to save my talents for... Sometimes we get into this mindset of scarcity and when we fall prey to that, we become very closed off. We're, we lose an ability to be compassionate and we lose an ability to be generous because we, we're worn out and we're tired and, and we just don't think that we have anything to give. You know, not just individuals, organizations struggle with this as well. Churches struggle with this. We've been talking about doing some projects around here to give our facility a facelift, to maintain a viability to minister to the hundreds of people that come through this place on a weekly basis. It takes, it takes money. It takes resources. It takes time. And those of us who pour over the accounting sheets sometimes might look at that and adopt a mindset of scarcity. I don't know if, we, I don't know if we're going to have enough to do that. We need, we need everything that comes in just to keep the place running. How, how, how could we think about doing anything more than that? takes a lot of money and resource to keep up with the benevolence that needs to happen in our community. A need walks through the front door of this place every day. Some, some of the need is connected to the people that, that you're sitting in this room with. Some of the need is for people who we don't even know who they are. And when we don't think we have enough, and we're exhausting all of our resources, caring for everything else. It's easy to adopt that mindset of scarcity and say, you know, I'm sorry, we, we don't have anything left to give. We need all we have to keep this going. We've talked on and off about a, a non-food pantry. There's a need that's in our community to help people who just need a hand up. They're trying as hard as they can, but... When they get to the end of the month, they look and they, they have nothing left to give. And they're still missing some things, some necessities like toilet paper and laundry soap and, and the like. Things that, you know, food stamps and, and other um, aid resources just don't cover. Well, you know what, to do something like that, it, it takes some resources. It takes some money. It takes people. It takes time. And when we evaluate our schedules and we look at the accounting spreadsheets, we're at severe risk of falling prey to the mindset of, I, you know, it would be wonderful to, to do that, but I don't think we have anything left to give. I'd, I had the privilege of going down and spending a few days with our brothers and sisters in El Salvador at our sister church that we've been connected to for 15 or more years. I'd love to be able to continue sending some resources and people. And, but then again, you know, it, it takes time, it takes people, it takes, it takes money to keep doing these sorts of things. We were recognized at our district assembly this week, Monday and Tuesday, uh, as, a, <clears throat> as a church who values 
missions. So much so that we, you know, we have a, a certain allotment that we pay, that we contribute. It's not a denominational tax. It's a privilege for us to be able to serve and to contribute to ministry that's happening all around the world so that we can be part of a church that's not just one location on First Street in Centralia, Washington, but that we are connected to all of the churches of the Nazarene around the globe. And we overachieved, and we have for, I don't know, the last decade or more. We've overachieved what we have contributed. I'd, but I would like to go even further. I'd like to contribute more. It takes resource. It's easy to say, well, that's nice, Pastor Dave. That's good pastor thinking right there. But we don't have enough. See, I think when I sit back and I listen to God, everything I've just said, he's giving us a green light on. Everything. Go. Do. The question is, are we going to? Or are we going to fall prey to the mindset of scarcity and think, well, we don't have enough. We're kind of concerned about that. Healthy concern is fine. You have to be prudent. You have to be good stewards of everything that God has entrusted to our care. We need volunteers. Uh, every church that I know, every pastor friend of mine would, would say the same thing. We need, we need more people. Um, there's a couple places in, in our ministry that we're at a severe lack of volunteers. I'm grateful for everyone who contributes their time uh, and effort to keep things going. So don't hear this as, a, as a, a spanking of sorts. This is a way to go. Thank you for your volunteerism. But there's always a need for more. We need people to work downstairs in our children's department while we're in worship. So yes, it does require a sacrifice a couple times a month of not being in this room, but investing in the lives of the kids, helping lead our kids to faith, help teach our kids. It's not, I don't need a body to be a babysitter. I need people who want to invest in the spiritual development of our young ones. It's not a small ask. It's not just, I, I only need an hour here or an hour there. It's something that is of huge need. When we go back to the pages of Scripture and God says, bring your kids up to know these things. It starts in our homes and it starts downstairs. And it's a joy when they sit in the front row and worship. We need help in mops. There's only three mops mornings left uh, in, in this particular season, but I've already had conversations with the mop steering team, and they're concerned for the fall, that they're going to have even more registrations. We still have facility space, and I, I, that's really the only limitation that I would ever want to restrict attendance at mops is if we run out of facility space, that's one thing. If we run out of volunteers, shame on us. It's the, how many of you work in mobs? I talk about it all the time. There's a bunch of you in here. It is crazy. You will, it will wear you out. 
It's twice a month for two and a half hours, and it is intense, it's loud, you'll probably leave with a headache, right? But it's some of the best and most important work that you could do. Because it carves out a space for these young moms who are worn out and tired and on the edge. Some are just at the brink of going over. And the, your investment of time allows them some space to sit around a table and have some adult time with other moms who are struggling with the same thing. And they know that in all of this, they're not alone. And they know in all of this, they are reminded on a regular basis that God walks every step with them, that there is hope for their kids, there is hope for their family, there is hope for their marriage. Sometimes we reduce it to just babysitting. It's not. It's not. It's much bigger than that. But we look at our schedules. We look at our bank accounts. And we don't think we have enough. And that's, this is where I have a problem with miracles. We look at our own stuff and we wonder how we're going to make it. We hear the needs. And honestly, you know, I think we all want to say, yes, I'd love to be able to participate. But we hesitate. We pray nice prayers and... And we ask and we trust God that he's going to work a miracle and provide for the need through somebody else's resources and somebody else's time. God, would you please send people? Would you please send the resources so that we can do all of those nice things that the pastor talked about? The problem with miracles is that we sit back and wait for God to deliver us. Barbara Brown Taylor, she says, miracles mesmerize us. She says, we focus, this is a quote, on, we focus on God's responsibility and forget our own. Miracles let us off the hook. They appeal to the part of us that is all too happy to let God feed the crowd, save the world, and do it all. We do not have what it takes after all. What we have to offer is not enough to make any difference at all, so we hold back and we wait for a miracle, looking after our own needs and looking for God to help those who cannot help themselves. Miracles mesmerize us. And so we adopt the mindset of scarcity and we sit back and don't do much. Hey, I have some good news for you today. The good news is that all the things that we talked about, God has already provided all of the resources we need to accomplish everything I just talked about. I don't think you heard what I said. God has already provided all of the resources necessary to do everything that I just talked about. There we go. You're catching on. <laughs> Here's the challenging part. It's in your pocket. It's in your bank account. It's on your calendar. It's your talents, your time, your treasure. God's already provided everything that we need. Look at verse 38. The disciples come to him and say, with the mindset of scarcity, there's no possible way, Jesus... We can't feed the crowd. 
And Jesus asks them, what do you have? Right? What do you have? Look in your pockets. Look in your little satchels. Go around. Ask people. And, and uh, he says to them, go and see. So they go and see. They, what do they bring back? They, Jesus asks, what do you have? They had five loaves and two fish. The disciples didn't think they had enough. They looked at their meager resources and said, it can't be done. And Jesus says to them, go take an inventory. Just look and see what you already have. It was an exercise in opening their eyes and their imaginations to, these are things you've already been blessed with. Let's get that out on the table. Let's take an inventory of all those things. Everything that sometimes we just put on the back burner, we think, oh, yeah, it's just my accumulated resources. We forget about those. And Jesus, in this case, is is telling the disciples, go see what you already have. Well, we've got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, that's enough. <laughs> Jesus says, that's enough. Are you crazy? We know the rest of the story. We just, we just read it. And Jesus takes what we have and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it back to the disciples and they go out and they do the miracle. He takes what they had in their inventory and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it back to them. And he says, you go distribute it. You be the delivery method of, of this miracle. I am going to feed this crowd. I've fed their souls and now we're going to feed their stomachs. And so he takes everything that we inventory and bring to him and he blesses them and he breaks them and he multiplies them and he gives them back to us so that we can be the agents in the transformation of this church and in this community. I don't know, maybe that doesn't excite you. That's how the kingdom works, folks. God's already provided everything that we need to accomplish for his mission right here and right now. And he enlists us. He asks us to be participants in that. I've given you all this stuff. Go inventory it. Take a look. Bring it to me. And then go and distribute it. Go and do. Go and live into the kingdom. And so the question that we have is, will we actually go and inventory for Jesus? Will we actually go and look? And when we go and we look and we see, will we, will we bring it to him and let him work with it? That's the question. We have this mindset of scarcity and Jesus operates on a whole nother level. Jesus operates on the mindset of abundance, the mindset of plenty, where we're at risk of having a mindset of scarcity. I don't know if we're going to have enough to make it. Jesus looks at what we have and he's like, he has this mindset of that's enough. That is plenty. There's an abundance in what you have. So where the disciples saw scarcity, he saw plenty. He looked at the very same things the disciples had looked at and where they saw little, Jesus saw enough. Enough time, enough food. Jesus saw the possibilities and the disciples only saw the limitations. This is a story that, that begs us to pull the scales off of our eyes so that when we are 
at risk of looking at things and just seeing all of the limitations, this is a story that opens our eyes to see what all the possibilities are when we give what we have to Jesus and let him do the work with it. It's a kingdom mindset. God wants to teach us how to operate out of this same mindset of, of abundance, to move us beyond this fixed sum thinking where we think that you're, if you gain something, then I'm losing something. Last week we talked about in the economy of the kingdom of God, your gain is not my loss. That's fixed sum thinking. And Jesus says, I'm going to have none of that. Have a mindset of abundance. It's the lesson that the people of Israel had to learn in the wilderness. It's the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples in our story today. It's the same lesson that he's trying to teach each and every one of us. With God in his economy, uh, your gain is my gain is our gain. I think it's truly a miracle when we can move from this mindset of scarcity over to a mindset of abundance. When our imaginations and outlook are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, that is truly a miracle. Jesus is able to do great and incredible things with the meager resources that we think that we have. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, he gives it back to us to go do kingdom work. The question is, what do you have? What do you have? Go and see. Go and see. People of God said, mm, amen. I'm going to have our worship team come back and sit, sing through one of these songs. I don't even remember which one it is, but would you stand? I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. God, forgive us. When we look at what you've entrusted to us and we think that it's not enough. I know there's realities in this life and sometimes we're not sure exactly how we're going to make it to the end of the month. We're not sure if there's going to be enough when we get to that age where we're supposed to retire. We don't know if there's enough food in the cupboard. We don't know if there's enough time on our schedule. Forgive us when we look at those things and we stop trusting that you know our every need. <laughs> we have to confess that to you, Lord. But maybe more often than we like to admit, we adopt a mindset of scarcity. lack, not enough. I hear that another word in that scarcity, it scares us. And so fear works its way in and convinces us that we need to just hang on and hoard everything that we have, hold on to it. 
You teach us something different. Jesus walked the face of this earth with his mindset of abundance, willing to give everything that he had, even his life. Lord, would you teach us? Would you help us lay down the fears that we have about letting go? And would you show us the, the joy of living into the abundance that you have already provided? And Lord, I pray that not just for us individually, but I pray that for this church. That we would look at everything, all of the people and the talents in this room and for those who aren't here, all of the time that we have, the, this wonderful building, everything that you have blessed this congregation with, Lord, <laughs> help us not to look at it with limitations, but help us to look at all of it with the possibilities that you put out there in front of us to, to reach more people for you in this community. We thank you for this time of worship together where we can be reminded of who you are. We can declare your glory. We can sing our praises out to you and we can open your word. And the first thing that you did with this crowd is you taught them. So teach us, Father. Teach us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>